You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life. Are you ready to wrestle with a bunch of really hard things? Did did we come here to go to work or what? Like, we're going to talk about the Word of God, some of the most important concepts in the universe. We better have come prepared. We are in this series called One Big Story, and um, I love what we've been doing with this. Like, it's really important that we get the broader picture of the story that God's trying to tell in the world, because if we don't tell it right, then it doesn't really matter what story we're trying to tell. We've got to tell the story the way God wants us to tell the story. And today, with our sermon today, that's actually particularly important. And so uh, I want to go back and review kind of where we've been and how we've gotten there, and then I want us to kind of talk for a few minutes about something that I think is going to make a lot of sense to us, hopefully. Um, It makes sense to me, but in my mind. So I want to review this. Week one, we talked about the fact that God is good. He created a good world full of good things, and he created you to mailed you are real good. You're full of potential. Uh, God created, you're not a mistake. You're not a whoops. You're not a disappointment. God's not up in heaven going, oh my me. What do I do with these people? That's not what God's doing. He looks at you and goes, oh my goodness. I, I created a masterpiece right there. Look at that. Look at that. Look at the potential. The problem isn't how we're made. The problem is that we choose to listen to other voices. And that was week two. We choose to listen to other voices that get in the way of God's agenda for us. And that then becomes something that gets us into a lot of trouble. And Josh did a great job preaching that sermon on crushing whispers. And that we got to stomp those voices out in our life and learn to get back to the one voice. Now, week three, God finally found a man that would trust the story that God wants to tell with the world. And so God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great so that you can be a blessing to all the nations, right? Abraham's name wasn't made great for his own benefit. Abraham's name was made great so that he could be a blessing conduit, a blessing trenchway, a blessing sluice, if you will. I like that one in particular. Uh, to the rest of the world, like his, his design from early, early, early on was to be able to be a blessing for the whole world world. And God made his name great so that he could do that. Now, then we talked about there's this cycle in the Bible and people want to talk about this cycle um, in terms of our sin. But one of the things that I will not back down on, I will not back down on this. Your sin doesn't drive the story. It's not about your sin. And I know that you really want it to be about you because you really like you. Uh, I really like me. That's how I know it. Like, I love me some me. I really do. But the story's not about me. The story is about God and his work in the world and his limitless patience for you. You can't mess it up so bad that God won't find you and provide a way out. 
You can't do it. You, I, some of us in this room, we have, a, we have a testimony. We have a story, right? You have a tattoo and everything. Prove that you have a past. Um, <laughs> I was looking at Mary. You got a tattoo. Uh, you, you know you've tried. You've tried to mess it up so bad. You've tried to mess it up so bad that God couldn't love you back. And yet here you sit. Why? Because of God's limitless patience for us. Now, if there was a way to avoid this cycle, if there was a way, and we could just live at peace with God, then Jesus comes as a man and it gives us a model to follow how we get there. So when you don't know what to do in your life, when you don't know what to do, just act like Jesus. Like, when you're quite, like what would Jesus do is a good question. It's actually a really good question, and a WWJD goes really great on a bracelet. Uh, but when you don't know what to do in a situation, just act like Jesus. You'll never go wrong with that. Now, here's what I will say. What I will say is um, sometimes Jesus is super compassionate. He's super graceful. Sometimes he's quiet and he doesn't say anything. Sometimes he turns tables over, right? Sometimes he's very abrupt and, and um, terse, if you will. That's a strong word. Um, Sometimes, like, there's a lots of different layers to Jesus and his character and who he's talking with and how he presents. So how do we know, like, which version in the moment, which version are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus says in John 14, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He says, and I'll ask the Father and he will send you a counselor, the spirit of truth. I got good news for you. If you're committed to trying to act like Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in your life to help guide you into the direction that you're supposed to go in the moment. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And so as we learn to listen to the voice of God, to the voice of the Holy Spirit, then we're able to know, like in this situation, I should do it this way, or I should be more or less, you know, here I should take a stand. Here I should fight for the cause, the mission, the purpose here. Here I should be quiet and just kind of let God work it out. Like those are all things that we learn over time as we get more dialed in with the Holy Spirit. Now, at the cross, Jesus delivers us. And Marty talked last week about this, that during the crucifixion, God is at rest. Like, while the rest of the world is distressed, panicked, I mean, the rest of the world's celebrating, but his guys are freaking out, full of anxiety and worry and concern and fear. Like, while they're all panicked, God is at rest. And what I would suggest to you is this. Not only is God at rest, but I believe Jesus is doing something that's really profound. Um, we have seven statements recorded from Jesus on the cross. All seven of them can be traced to Psalm 22, 23, and 24, which is interesting because in the first century, that's all one psalm. They hadn't been divided yet. So what I find particularly compelling about that is that Jesus, in quoting the text, is quoting directly out of the Jewish hymnal. That's what the Psalms are. These are their songs of worship. What if Jesus isn't questioning God on the cross? What if, what if Jesus is worshiping? 
Like it would seem consistent. Remember we talked about in our worship series that God's people, the people that weather the storms of their life well in a way that honors the Lord, they do that by worshiping their way through it. This is Job when he loses his kids. It's David after his baby dies. It's, it's thing after thing. It's Paul and Silas in prison. Like they're shackled, they're chained, and they begin worshiping. Now, they aren't worshiping so that God will deliver them. They worship because that's how they survive this situation. And an earthquake comes and the shackles fall off. Because when you worship, the shackles fall off. How do you, like, it's so, it's so stunning to me to consider that Jesus, in his greatest moment of tragedy, is worshiping his way through it. And maybe that's a model for you and I. And I, and I, I wonder, like, how do you handle the, the, the traumatic points in your life? And, and let's take the word trauma off the table because that feels like only the big stuff. Like, how do you handle the normal day-to-day stresses of your life. How do you handle those? Because here's the thing. If you're anything like me, then you know you'll resonate with this. I love change as long as it's my idea. <laughs> but don't mess with my schedule. Like don't, don't, you know, car breaks down. I'm late for an appointment. Kids, kids want to talk. And, and the stress level rises. Ah, I start to worry like we don't have enough money for the bills or this, this, that, or the other thing. All these little pile of stresses that we deal with in life, how do you deal with those? What we normally do and what I've done in the past has been to let my stress level rise, my anxiety and worry rise, and then I take that out on my wife and my children because they love me and they can't leave. Right? They're obligated to stay. Therefore, I'm going to be like, just get out of my face. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Get out of my face, right? Like, here's what we got to understand. Worry, worry is practical atheism. So when you're worrying, you don't have a, well, I'm just naturally a worry wart. No, you're just naturally an atheist. Like, that's... I know that's strong. Like we all have kind of this bent though to, to live our life based on what we see, only what we see. This is called the flesh. We live our life according to the things of the flesh. What that does is it creates all kinds of problems. Jesus shows us how to keep ourselves dialed into the spirit because the, the flesh chases after things of the flesh. The spirit chases after things of the spirit. How do we stay focused on the spiritual things in the midst of these really difficult circumstances? Big, little, or anywhere in between. How do we do that? We worship our way through it. That's what you do. Kelly talked about the croils during worship. That's what they're doing. And that's why they have peace. I'm so proud of them. I'm honored to work among such people. They're amazing. The, the situation that they're in is awful. On top of their daughter and all this stuff that's going on with her, uh, Rob has had a funeral for both of his parents in the last year. Like, it's just this big pile of yuck. And I'm watching them honor the Lord as they worship their way through it. It's not easy. And I want the Lord to take it from them. 
but it's a powerful testimony. Like sometimes we testify about who our God is by the victories in our life. Sometimes we testify about who our God is through our faithfulness. Like, that's just the reality. So here's my question that I want to wrestle with today. How can God be at rest and Jesus be worshiping as we move through the cross and into the grave? How can he do that? Well, here's why. Isaiah 55, 9, 8 and 9, here's what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Have you ever noticed that when God does something in your life, you're like, well, I don't understand that. Or if you're like, like the song said, God, I've seen you move mountains. I've seen you move mountains in my life. I've seen you move mountains in other people's lives. And I have this huge mountain here. Why aren't you moving it? His thoughts aren't your thoughts. When God works in your life, it would be completely normal for you to go, I don't understand that at all. I don't understand, God, why you're doing it that way. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. Why? Why would you say that? Because his thoughts aren't your thoughts. God's going to be like, I know. I don't do things the way you do them. Why, don't I, why doesn't God do things the way I do them? Well, number one, because he's pretty smart. Uh, Doing things the way I would do them would really mess it up for you. It'd be awesome for me, but it would really mess it up for you. God's ways are not our ways because God's thoughts are not our, th our thoughts. He doesn't see things the way that we see them. He doesn't think through things the way that we think through them. We think through them from our finite, limited, tiny little perspective. God's got a bit of a bigger picture. So why can God rest and Jesus worship? Because they know it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Like there's a resurrection happening. And the problem with resurrection is we love the power of resurrection, but in order to get it, you have to go through the grave. Like there has to be a death before there's a resurrection. And we don't like that. So what I want to do for a few minutes here is I just want to read some passages that shows us kind of what, um, what happens when these people begin to experience the resurrected Christ in their life. Let's read. John chapter 20. This is, we, we talked about this passage last week, but I want to look at it again. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? So think about this for a second. Like this, this occasion where Mary Magdalene is 
all messed up, all kinds of emotionally wrecked here. God's perspective is so, he's like, why, why are you weeping? I want you to think about this for a second. It's kind of like as a dad, when my kids were little and I was teaching them how to walk. If you've been a parent, you'll, you'll resonate with this, right? So when you're teaching them how to walk, you kind of, you take them and, and you set them down like this and, and then you, you kind of grab their hands and you kind of fumble along and you walk and you come out of your tree. Oh my goodness, you're so amazing. Look at you go, right? But I'm, I'm 100% supporting and dragging, right? Like there's, they're not doing anything by themselves, but, but I, I'm celebrating them. Why? Because there's going to be this point where I, I look at my kid and I go, you're, you're ready. And now my kid has to decide what to do right? And kids don't like this moment the first few times. They don't. They'll sit down, right? Or they'll cry. And they'll be like, ah! I speak baby. <laughs> they'll do that because from their perspective, they're not okay. Dad turned me loose. But here's the thing. As the dad, I know that that little kid is going to be okay. Now, who's right and who's wrong? I'm, here's the thing that we have to learn in our, in our own walk with the Lord. If God thinks that we're going to be okay, then we must be okay. Because he knows things that we don't know. And he sees things that we don't see. And so from our limited perspective, we might be like, this doesn't feel good at all. This is, I'm not going to make it. But all the time, God's going, no, you're good. Just walk to me. Just, just walk to me. And if he says you're okay, you're okay. So seeking God's perspective in those moments where we don't feel okay is really important. The way we get there is worship. Woman, why are, you cry why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. What happens when she encounters the resurrected Christ? She gets a mission. She gets a purpose. She gets hope. She gets peace. By the way, she also becomes the first evangelist. Maybe there's something for us to learn there. I find it particularly interesting that Jesus gives his first message to Mary. <laughs> Do I need to get a witness from my sisters up in here? <laughs> Let's read on. With that in mind, let's read on. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So check this out. So their doors are locked. They're all panicked. And then like Jesus shows up. He's like, hey, what's up? Yeah, your doors were locked. So, you know, I, did, I went through a wall and stuff. You know, like you would, like anybody would. 
<laughs> and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they will are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So what happens is Jesus shows up to his distraught, fearful uh, disciples who are locked in a room hiding because they're afraid they're going to die. He shows up and gives them peace and purpose because that's what the resurrected Christ does. Let's read on. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, it's three kind of really important words. His disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, like they, they should have known by now, Jesus came and stood among them and said, and said, hey, don't you remember that wall thing I did? Like, what? He said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Like, God, God doesn't show up in the moment. Jesus doesn't show up in the moment going, Thomas, come on, dude. Like, grow up. He says, Thomas, I'm going to give you exactly what you need. And Thomas gets it. Church history will tell us that Thomas is stuck to a wall with, with a spear. Two guys sneak up behind him while he's preaching on a street corner that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. See, the resurrected Christ gave him peace too, even though he had questioned terribly. There's all kinds of things that the resurrected Christ does for us. He gives them a mission in Matthew 28. He gives boldness to two men walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Like this goes on and on and on. This is what the resurrected Christ does for us. But we've got to be willing to go through the tomb to get there. Because there's things in us that need to die. God doesn't take us through the tombs of our own life to make us feel bad or because he's in control. He does it because on the other side of that, there's a res resurre resurrected Christ waiting for you. You get to experience more of God than you even knew possible. None of them knew that Jesus could raise himself from the dead. None of them knew that. Guess what? He did. He did. And with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Uh, we take communion every week in our church. So if you're new with us, we have an open table. What that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake, but we want you to hold the elements till the end and we'll take them all together. Uh, while they're passing that out, I want to work through some implications. Okay? Um, implication number one. We can never lose the plot of the story and how we're telling it to the world. It, this is really critical because there's a lot of people out there trying to tell the story of who God is. 
But here's the thing. If you don't tell the story correctly, then you create all kinds of baggage. We have to tell the story of who God is and who man is to him and how we learn to know him and the lives that we live and the power of God at work in the world. We've got to tell all that story in a way that is consistent with what God is already doing. Implication number two. We all experience tragic moments. We do. At different levels, some little, some big. Now, we don't all experience them all at the same time. And that's good. That's good because when I'm having a bad day, maybe you're not. And when you're having a bad day, maybe I'm not. And together, when we come in here to corporately worship, those of us that are doing well can worship louder for those that are struggling. And we need to do that. Thursday night, I texted Rob after church and said, I worshiped for you today. I'm doing battle with you. Like, this is, this is real. Like, it's real. This is the real deal. This is real tangible Christianity. We got to come together and worship. And for those of us that are having those bad moments, we got to worship even harder to worship our way through them well, right? Like, we should be, whether you're doing well and worshiping on someone else's behalf or you're in a tough spot and you're worshiping on your own behalf, you need to, Worship louder, like worship, worship. Here's the thing. When bad things happen to us, what I know to be true is the first question that we always ask, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? L let me ask you a question. If if God was to come down out of heaven and you're sitting in this, and let's say it's a big one, like it's, there's a tragedy, and you're sitting in the midst of this mess and God comes down and sits with you and he goes, you know what, here's why. Here's why that happened. Do, do you think that that would satisfy you? It wouldn't. The answer is no, it wouldn't. Hey, go sit with the Croyles while they're sitting there with their daughter after all this surgery after all these times of missing work and going back and forth and not knowing what's wrong and watching their baby girl hurt, go sit with them and go, oh, well, here's why it's happening. It'll make them want to punch you in the face. That's what that does. That doesn't help. Why does it help? When you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer every time. Maybe a better question would be, what now? Like it happened. It's real. It's not going away. It wasn't made up. It happened. And maybe it was really, it, it, it's real and it's happened and it's bad. Okay, what now? What I would suggest is the place we start is for the spirit of heaviness, we put on the garment of praise. Maybe that's where we begin. Here's a really interesting thing. Um, Romans 8, 28, Paul says, all things work for good, right? He does not say that all things are good because some things aren't. They're really bad. But he says, all things work for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his holy purpose. Why do they work for good? Here's why. Verse 29, because those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into his image. Those moments 
allow things in us to die so that a better version of Jesus living in me can emerge. I get to experience the resurrected Christ more. The problem is I gotta go through the grave to get to resurrection. So the next implication might be this. We're predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. If Jesus worships in his hardest moments, then we must do that too. Last implication. The ability to worship God through difficult things comes from faith that believes in what tomorrow holds. You may be in your life. I don't know. Some of you guys, I know your stories, and I know you're sitting in the tomb right now. It's Saturday. Like, it's bad. It's hard. And it feels like a death. Don't ever forget that Sunday's coming. Sunday's on its way and the resurrected Christ will, will empower you and release things in you in, th- in ways that you never even knew possible. Hang on. You don't quit. I think one of the reasons why I love communion is that it all, it all kind of boils down to this one point where we begin to endure life well. Maybe endure is not the right word. We begin to thrive, survive, enjoy. You pick the word. We begin to do life well. I don't want to get all technical on you. When we understand that it begins when we start looking and acting like Jesus, laying our life down, not pressing our own agenda, letting the things that God wants to die in me, letting them die so that I can experience the resurrected Christ. This reminds me that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that it means to us. Thank you that you don't leave us in our mess. And thank you for the resurrected Christ that gives us power, freedom, hope, healing, a future. Thank you that the grave doesn't define our story, but that your power to conquer it does. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.